Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church, and I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. One of my favorite artists is an artist named Phil Hansen. I like saying it that way, like my, one of my favorite artists, is as if, as if I have a list of favorite artists that I just know of, familiar with their work, but Phil Hansen is towards the top. I don't know a lot of artists. But I was watching this TED Talk maybe 10 years ago or so called Embrace the Shake. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it sometime. But it just tells the story of Phil Hansen, a very gifted artist, but things didn't go in his life the way, they, the way he thought they would. So to that end, we have a lot in common with Phil Hansen. Most of us would say, well, that's true for me too. I thought it would go this way and it turned out going this way. I thought by now this would be my situation and it's not my situation. Like things don't always go how we thought they would. And that was true for Phil. He was uh, an artist who specialized in a technique of art called pointillism. Pointillism is where you create a picture with a, a series of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of these small perfect little dots. So an example of pointillism would be something like this. And he was a gifted artist who specialized in pointillism, but then in art school, he developed a shake in his hand. And suddenly he couldn't practice the art that he had dedicated his life to. His dream had been to become this artist who specialized in pointillism, but once the shake came, it seemed that that dream was gonna end in a dead end. He went to a neurologist. The neurologist said, look, there's nothing you can really do about this. It is what it is. So the neurologist said, you might as well embrace the shake. Okay, well, what's that even mean? Embrace the shake. He's an artist. How can you tell an artist? It's like telling a surgeon, hey, I don't know, embrace the shake. It, it doesn't seem that helpful. And so for a while, Phil took a break from art. He thought his dream had come to a dead end. But in time, he started to experiment a little bit more with art, and what he discovered was that limitations have a way of inspiring creativity. That when things don't go the way you hope they might, when the resources you need aren't available, that it can, it can inspire some creativity. And so he started to purposely limit himself to inspire creativity, and, and so he said, as an example, what would happen if I wanted to create art and all I had was a banana and a needle? And so he tattooed on a banana a portrait or a picture of the creation of Adam. There it is. Uh, there is another example of this where he wanted to create some art, but he wanted to do it without a canvas. And he was sitting in a Starbucks when this idea came to him. And so he went up to the counter and he asked for 50 cups, 50 Starbucks cups. And he put this picture of a, a child from Uganda on, the, this, uh, on these cups and then used the proceeds to help World Vision one of my favorite examples of this was a piece of work he did where he didn't want to use a paintbrush. He wanted to do a painting without a paintbrush. And so he did this large picture of Bruce Lee, but the way he did it was he dipped his hands in black paint and he karate chopped the canvas to create this picture. So this picture is just made with karate chops. The point of his story and me sharing it with you is that he had this dream of what his work was gonna look like, of how he would inspire people. He pursued that dream, gave hundreds and hundreds of hours to perfecting it. Then it was taken from him, but it turned out that 
it wasn't a dead end, it was actually a detour. That what happened to him, once he embraced the shake, led him to a whole different kind of art. And what felt like a, a step back was actually a step forward that allowed his work to stand out. And I don't know if you've figured this out by now, but for all of us, life is sort of a series of detours where we think things are gonna go one way and they end up going a different direction and we have to decide if our detours are gonna define us or are they gonna take us to a different destination that's good, it's just different than what we had in mind. And so we're in this series on understanding the will of God. The title of the series is One Thing Leads to Another. And what we're discovering together is that the will of God is always unfolding. It doesn't make sense to us perhaps in the moment or from where you sit, from where I sit, we can't quite see where it's going, but the will of God is always unfolding. That means that the detours we find ourselves on, things we didn't plan on, have a way under God's sovereign will of being um, worked out for the good in our lives. It's just hard to see in the moment. It's hard to make sense of in the moment. So to help us with this, we're studying the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37 is where we begin studying his life. We're introduced to Joseph as a 17-year-old, and then it goes through Genesis 50. And it's just really helpful in understanding God's will because we're able to see his life as a whole. Joseph's life is clearly a series of detours, meaning roads that he didn't plan on taking, directions he didn't, take, he didn't plan on following. But when we look at them as a whole, we recognize that God was at work. God's will was unfolding. He didn't get to see it in the moment. And so we get to see it all at once. It increases our faith. And we recognize that the way we see Joseph's life is the way God sees our lives. He doesn't just see us in a moment. He sees the whole picture. And so we can have faith that he is doing something bigger than what we can recognize in any particular moment. So Genesis 37, we're introduced to Joseph, we saw last week as a 17-year-old boy who's growing up in a dysfunctional family. And we said last week that here's the beautiful thing about God's will, is his will can overcome your messy past. Like for some of us, it's hard to believe that we can still experience God's will for our lives because of where we're, we've come from. And, and we think either because of something we did or something that's been done to us, well, it must be too late for us to experience what God might want for us. But here's what God does. This is the power of God's sovereignty, is he can take anything you've done or anything that's been done to you, and he can fold that into his unfolding will. He can meet you right where you are, and his will can still be accomplished. And so we saw that with Joseph. He, he comes from this dysfunctional family, it, it, we, we saw that his, uh, his father, Jacob, had four wives. Remember Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, Zilpah? You remember his favorite wife of the four? It's Rachel. And Rachel didn't have children until later in life, so when she finally did have a child, Joseph, Joseph became Jacob's favorite. He had 12 sons who the 12 tribes of Israel would come from, but Joseph was his favorite son. And he wasn't shy about letting the rest of the family know that Joseph was his favorite. Even if you don't know much about the story, you probably know that Joseph had, remember this, a coat of many colors. That He was given this ornate robe that would have extended down to his hands and down to the ground. It was completely impractical, but Joseph seemed to wear it all the time. He, he never seemed to take this thing off. Like he, as we're gonna see, he goes and checks on his brothers who are working manual labor in the field. You wanna guess what he wore out to the field? He wore his, 
He wore his robe, he wore his coat. Like he just never seemed to take it off. And so Jacob seems unaware of the position he's putting his son in. We're told twice, we saw last week in Genesis 37 that Joseph's brothers hated him. They didn't want to have anything to do with him. In, in, in verse 12, Jacob sends Joseph to check on his brothers who are working out in the fields in a town called Shechem. Joseph gets there, they're not there. One of the workers said, ah, I think your brothers went on to Dothan. So Joseph keeps going to Dothan, which is like 60 miles away from his home, 60 miles away from the protection and shelter of his father. He's not driving this, right? Like 60 miles is quite a hike. And, and Joseph, up to this point, has lived this very comfortable and privileged, spoiled life, but he's about ready to experience a pretty extreme detour. Look at verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him at a distance. You know why? Because he's wearing that coat. Like, he, they can see, like, what is that coming in the distance? Oh, that's our brother's coat walking towards us. They see him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can just tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. One of the brothers named Reuben knows that this is a bad idea but his other brothers are all worked up. So he says, look guys, we don't want his blood on our hands. Let's just throw him in one of these wells. He'll die of nat natural causes and we, we don't have to be responsible for it. Now Reuben's thinking, I'll come back and get him later once my brothers have chilled out. And so he pitches this idea to them and they agree. Verse 23 says, so when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and they threw him into the cistern the cistern was empty. There's no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and they saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. Uh, they're slave traders that are making their way down to Egypt, getting ready to pass by. And one of the other brothers named Judah says, hey, fellas, instead of killing him or instead of leaving him in one of these wells, I mean, we could come out ahead here. We could make a little bit of money if we just sell him into slavery, and they're like, yeah, it's, it's a good idea, let's do that. Verse 28, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. So imagine just for a moment how Joseph felt. He wakes up in the morning, everything's good. Slips on his uh, robe, He's the favored son. He has these dreams of God's will in his life and how God's gonna use him in some influential, impactful way, although it doesn't quite make sense. The future looks bright for Joseph. By the time the day's over, he finds himself in a pit where he has been stripped down. He's yelling up for his brothers, please don't do this, please don't do this, and they are eating lunch. They're having lunch. Slave traders come by. He gets sold into slavery to this uh, foreign group of Midianites. He doesn't know them. He doesn't speak their language. And, and he is treated like an animal as he's taken down to Egypt. It's like a 300, depending on how they went, a 300 to 500 mile journey, right? Like this is numerous weeks of traveling as a slave where he's just thinking through what, what happened, like, how, how did it come to this? I mean, I knew things weren't great between me and my brothers. I knew there was some tension, but, but really? 
Like, I, I'm a slave now? Like, how did my life fall apart so quickly? I, I knew things weren't perfect, but how in the world did I find myself on this detour? And he makes his way to Egypt. His life just seems to have, have fallen apart. He's feeling very much alone. And he gets to Egypt, and, and chapter 37 ends by saying, they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar, says, was captain of the palace guard. And so in this one chapter, it begins with a dream. Here's God's will for my life. It ends with him being sold into slavery in a foreign land. Can you resonate with that a little? Life begins and you have these thoughts, these ideas of what things will be like for you. But it doesn't take very long. A lot of you didn't make it to 17 before it was very clear that it was gonna be different than what you hoped it would be. And he's sold into slavery. A lot happens in this one chapter. You know what we don't read about in chapter 37? Moses, who's writing this for us, would have been well aware that the average Jewish reader would have noticed what is not in chapter 37. God. He doesn't make an appearance. He doesn't say anything. We get to chapter 39. While Joseph is in Potiphar's house, verse two, it says the Lord was with Joseph. He, he finally comes on the scene here. And then we'll start to read this refrain throughout Joseph's life. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. He was with him. But he still is strangely silent, never seems to say much of anything. And so one of the things I would just challenge you with is this idea that when you find yourself on a detour, don't mistake God's silence for God's absence. It might seem that God is not actively involved, or you might be listening for him to tell you something, and you're, just, you're not hearing it. Don't assume that his silence means his absence. Just because God doesn't show up in Genesis 37 doesn't mean God isn't in Genesis 37. Like God is still at work, even though it can be hard to see. One minute, Joseph is going down the road. Everything is good. The next minute, it feels like not only is he not moving towards God's will, but he's going in the opposite direction. Like surely this is not what the dream he had would have, would have meant. And so I would just tell you, first of all, that detours come unexpectedly. That is the nature of them. You're driving down the road, everything's okay, and suddenly you find yourself going on a path that wasn't on the map. It wasn't part of the directions you were intending to follow. And so I was talking to a friend, finally getting ahead financially, started a new business, thought things were going pretty well. One of his clients declares bankruptcy, can't pay them. He doesn't think he's gonna make it. Just like that. Someone else, they finish posting family pictures online. Family's not perfect, but really, really it's what they dreamed of. And, and then... Then they see a text message pop up on their spouse's phone and they don't recognize the number and everything just falls apart. You go to the doctor for some routine checkups. You have some questions because you haven't felt quite right and the doctor sends you to get some tests done and by the end of the day, you're hearing the word cancer. You never thought that would be part of your map 
A late night phone call tells you there's been an accident. The boss calls you into the office, tells you, tells you they're gonna make some cuts, and suddenly you're on this detour that you didn't ask for, that you didn't want. It wasn't supposed to be part of your story. Detours are always unplanned. That's what makes them so difficult. There are all kinds of detours. Some of them are life circumstances, like the cancer diagnosis or the, the tree falling through the house in the middle of a storm or dealing with infertility or an unplanned pregnancy or a tragic accident of some kind. Some detours are our own bad choices. Like we recognize that those are hard ones. We, we look back and we think, what, what was I thinking? And, and this toxic relationship that you got involved in has taken you off the road for, for too long or an unguarded heart has opened you up to feelings for someone else, or, or one drink has become another relapse, or a hasty investment means you're probably never gonna get to retire, and, and you just find yourself on this detour, and you know that it, you know it was your own decision. Some detours are other people's decisions. And for a lot of us, we think, oh yeah, yeah, most of them. It's not hard to find other people to blame. Joseph certainly could have done this, his brothers made the decision. His brothers ran the car off the road. He just happened to be in the vehicle. It, it was other people's decisions that created this detour that he had no choice in. Another type of detour that I might reference would be what I would just call God's plan. What I mean by that is some things from your perspective and my perspective are detours because they weren't our plan. But just because it wasn't your plan doesn't make it a detour, right? Like, like sometimes it's, it's God's plan and it feels like a detour to us, but it's part of his plan all along. Here, here's what I would say though, is that whatever might be the source of the detour, God wants it to become a divine detour where he is gonna accomplish some things through it. He's gonna work some good in it. Like any detour can become a divine detour because of God's sovereignty. God can take any detour you find yourself on and say, okay, Whatever caused this to be, I can take it and work it for good. I can, I can fold everything that's happened to you into my unfolding will for you. Like that's, that's the power of God's sovereignty. Here's a way we might capture this is just because you would never choose it doesn't mean God won't use it. It's just something to remember when you find yourself on a detour. I didn't choose this, didn't choose this path, I didn't choose this road, didn't, I didn't choose this, but just because I didn't choose it doesn't mean God won't use it. Like God can still use it to bring you to a place that he, he wants you to be. God can still use it to work out good in your life. You might not choose it, but that doesn't mean God can't, can't use it. Another way to put this, if I could put this on the screen for us, that I think is helpful, is your troubles can be God's transportation. <laughs> Your troubles can be God's transportation to get you to where he wants you to be. Like this is a different way to look at the troubles and the detours of life that you begin to recognize that my, my troubles, when I surrender them to God's will, can end up being transportation to, to accomplish good in me, accomplish good through me. Joseph does this. He reframes it. And so we get to his life, Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20, towards the end of his life. And he looks back on these things that we're reading about in Genesis 37, and, and he's talking to his brothers in Genesis 50, the same brothers who sold him into slavery, and, and what Joseph says to them, he says, it's real subtle, but he says, God brought me to this place. God brought me to this place. He's saying that to the brothers that sold him into slavery that took him to that place. But somewhere along the line, he began to reframe what happened to him, not as being a victim, 
Not as look what my brothers have done to me, but look what God has done for me. You think, you think that this person has done this to you, but what if God wants to do something for you in it? What if you reframed it and you said, God is the one who brought me to this place? Now look, I'm not saying that's easy. <laughs> it's not easy to do this. Like the easy thing to do is to look at the detour that you're on and think to yourself, it's my fault. Because maybe it was. And you don't move forward you don't have eyes to see how God wants to work good out because you just can't believe what you have done. You don't think Joseph did this when he's stripped of his coat and he's being taken to Egypt on that 300 plus mile journey? You, you, you don't think he was thinking to himself, why would I have worn that coat all the time? Well, why, what was I thinking? Never taking that thing off, wearing it to go check on my brothers in the field. Why, why wasn't I more aware of how this was coming across? And why would I share these dreams with them when they clearly resented me for having them? Like, why would, I have done, why would I have treated my brothers in such a way that this is how they felt about me? He could have just lived in that kind of shame. And some of you know what this is like. Maybe you were 17 and you now look back and you can recognize that some decisions you made as a 17, 18 year old have had huge implications in your life all these years later. And the easy thing to do is just to think about all the detours you've been forced to take because of these decisions that you made, but you can't go back. You can't turn the car around. You, you, you can't change what happened. And so you either stall out or you keep moving forward. Or, or maybe, Maybe you look at your detour and instead of feeling this shame, you blame. I think Joseph could have done that. He could have just lived the rest of his life with bitterness and anger. No one would have blamed him. His brother sold him into slavery. And he could have just said, you know, who, what am I supposed to do? My own brothers did this to me. And he could have let that bitterness and anger turn into this rage that defined him and defined his life and his future. He could have lived as a victim because he was victimized. So he could have just lived as a victim. He could have, he could have felt sorry for himself and say, look, my dad, why would he put me in this position? Like, why would my dad have shown favorites the way he did? He should have known better because his brother was Esau and his dad showed favorites to his brother Esau. Why, why would my dad repeat the same mistakes it was my grandfather and caused these problems for him. Like there's all ways, all kinds of ways he could have just gotten stuck on the detour. But instead he says, God brought me to this place. My troubles can be God's transportation to get me to a place I need to be. Romans 8 says, God loves you so much. And if he's for you, who can be against you? If he's for you, if his sovereign power is for you, then whatever else happens to you, he can take it. He can fold that into his unfolding will for your life. And so Joseph reframes some things. I want us to be able to do that. I want us to have that kind of faith that does that. So let me just give you a few ways that God uses detours in your life. One, he uses detours for your development. If you're driving down a road, and you see a detour that you're forced to take, usually the assumption is that there's some development happening. There's growth taking place. There's a work in progress. You're on a detour because, because there's some development 
that needs to, to take place. And the Bible gives us this picture of suffering and testing and trials, that it's, it's for our good, it's for our development, so that when we find ourselves on a detour, one of the questions to ask is, God, what are you wanting to teach me? What do you want to develop in me? So think about this in Joseph's life. He's 17 years old when we're introduced to him, and he seems like he has these qualities that aren't very helpful for someone who's gonna be put in the type of leader position that he will be. He seems to be prideful. He seems to be entitled. He seems to be spoiled. He seems to be unaware of how he comes across to to others. All those things seem to be true of him. And so how do you break someone of a prideful and entitled spirit? You know what tends to break someone of a prideful and entitled spirit? Being sold into slavery. That'll do it. Like... (laughs) That'll, that'll get rid of that pretty quick. And, and so there's this growth that's taking place in him that is painful and difficult, but it's, it's changing him. It's preparing him for what God has in mind for him. And I think a lot of us can look back and see that these seasons of growth took place during detours that we didn't ask for. We didn't choose it, but God used it. So I can think of this recent years. When I became the senior pastor of this church, I remember spending several years leading up to it, just praying and preparing and thinking about God's will, God's plan. What are the next five, 10 years going to look like? But it was just a few months into that transition that the pandemic hit. And then suddenly it felt like we were on this two-year detour that just now feels like we're coming out of. And, and all of these things that I thought were part of God's will kind of got off to the side, found myself on a road that was much different than what I was picturing. But what I can see, what I recognize, is that God was stripping me of some things on that detour. I didn't choose it, but God was using it. He was using it to teach me better, healthier spiritual rhythms, using it to teach me that I need to humble myself and ask for help more freely when I don't know what to do. He was using it to teach me to measure success differently so that I... I'm looking at ministry and church through his lens and his definition of what it means to be successful, not my own, that I can get caught up in. Like all these things I didn't want, all these things I didn't want, he was, he was using some things to bring that out, to accomplish that. And I would just say that whatever detour you find yourself in, God is wanting to do some things in you. Like he's wanting to strip you of some things. He's wanting to humble you in some ways. He's wanting you to be dependent on him in a way that you haven't been before. Another way God uses detours is to protect us from danger. The road you're on, it seems like the best one. And then you get put on a detour and it feels like it's taking you out of the way. But what you don't know is that maybe there's an accident ahead. What you don't know is maybe the road is flooded out in front of you. And so you're on a detour, it feels like you're taking the long way around, but in reality, you're being protected. And what I would just say, as we talk about God's sovereign will, is that I believe that this happens for us to a degree much greater than we will ever realize you know, on this side of eternity. That there are ways God is protecting us that we don't get to see or recognize. And so you feel like you're on this detour where your, your singleness just feels like this intolerable burden, like that wasn't the path, it wasn't the plan. You were supposed, by this time, at this point in your life, you thought you would be this far along and you're on this detour 
but you don't know what God's protected you from. You don't know what God's protected you from. Or it, it feels like you've, you've just been praying for a long time, that you'd, you'd find a right house, and this just doesn't seem to happen, and everything seems to always fall through, and you've been working at it and working at it, and, and it's frustrating. Like you understand in the scheme of things, okay, but, but it's frustrating, and you're tired and worn out, but you don't, you don't know what God's protecting you from. You can't, you can't see that. You think about Joseph's life. What would have been, what would have been like for him if none of this would have happened? And he just grows up to be a spoiled and entitled adult who is controlling and demanding and selfish. Like God was protecting him from that, giving him a much different future, but it wasn't. It wasn't easy. Some of us who've been around for a while, we recognize the reality of these detours because we can see in hindsight that God protected us from things that we prayed for. We, we asked for certain things. God said no. At the time, we were frustrated because it felt like a detour. What we understand now is that he was protecting us from things that we just didn't realize in the moment. One more thing I would say is that detours sometimes end up becoming shortcuts. We think it's a detour, but it's a shortcut. Here's what I mean. If, if you're driving and you find yourself on a detour, it feels like you're going the long way around. Now we have this advantage of a GPS that tells us the detour actually is cutting time off the trip. And so we're not frustrated when we get put on the detour because what we have the opportunity to recognize is, oh, this way, it's a long way around. It feels like that because it wasn't what I was planning on, but it's actually five minutes faster. It ends up being a shortcut. And sometimes the detours feel like a long way around, but they end up being a shortcut. We think we're going the opposite direction, but it's moving us ahead in ways that we just can't recognize. We just don't, we don't see. And so this, I believe, was true for Joseph. God's will for him, dream for him, was that he would become a leader in Egypt that would save millions of people from starvation. What is the fastest way to get Joseph to a position of influence and leadership in Egypt? What's the fastest way to teach him about here's what you need to do as a leader? What's the fastest way for him to learn those lessons and be prepared by God? Probably to be a slave in the captain of the guard's home. One of the most influential and powerful people in all of Egypt, probably to be a slave and work your way up and eventually oversee his entire, entire household. It seemed like a detour. It was actually a shortcut the whole time. The whole time. There's not a faster way that I can think of that could have prepared Joseph for what God had in mind. And so sometimes it feels like we're taking these steps back, but God has a way of weaving things together. Sometimes the detours end up feeling like shortcuts. And so here are a few things I just wanna encourage you to do. We wrap up. Number one, pray for perspective. Ask God to give you a faith to trust him. Ask God to help you see some things from his perspective. He sits where you don't. He knows what you don't. He understands what you can't. Ask God to give you that perspective so that you can grow in faith, so that you can trust him. Number two, I would tell you, keep moving forward. When you're on a detour, the tendency is to wanna to obsess about how you got on that detour, to look back and try to make sense of it. But oftentimes, the setback can become a step forward 
if, if we'll just keep moving forward with some faith. Third, I would tell you, is replace reason for purpose. The most natural question to ask yourself when you're on a detour is why? Why did it happen? What's the reason? There's something within us that thinks, well, if I just, if I just knew the reason, it would make the detour feel better. It won't. Instead, ask what's the purpose? It's the same question. Why did this happen? For this purpose. And so begin to ask God, what, what purpose do you have? Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph says, God brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. He went on all of these detours and he recognizes, okay, it's not what I would have chosen. It's not what I would have wanted. God brought me to this position for this reason, for this purpose. And, and begin to pray in such a way, God, I don't understand the reason. Maybe I never will, but would you help me see the purpose? Would you help me recognize the purpose? God, how do you wanna use some things that I never would have chosen to accomplish what you want to in me and through me? One of my uh, favorite stories uh, that I've heard around here was of a, a man on a Sunday morning who came to our Blankenbaker campus, but he, he, didn't, he didn't want to. Like it was, a, it was a detour for him, but kind of a literal one. He, he was running errands on a Sunday morning. He got stuck in traffic out here. Couldn't get out of it. And by the time he realized what traffic he was in, the police officer, traffic officer was like, come on, let's go, let's go. And, and pushing him into the parking lot. And once he got in the parking lot, couldn't find his way out. <laughs> I, I mean, we do that on purpose. Like, uh, that's not true, but he couldn't. He couldn't figure, couldn't figure out how to get out. And, and then he started noticing the people around him. And there's a joy about some of the people who were coming in here. And he wondered a little bit about this place in the past. And he thought, well, you know, I've never been here. I've heard about this place. These people look excited to go. I'm already here. I don't really know how to get out. So I might as well go in. And so he came in somewhat impulsively, just came in. What I love about the story is I was learning about it on the day he was baptized. So on the day he's baptized, I just am talking with him, some small talk. Well, I often ask people when they're baptized, I'm like, among the questions I ask is, you know, what, what, what brought you here? And he's like, well, I didn't wanna come. And usually when somebody says that, I think what they mean by that is like, there were some things in life that led them to this place. They didn't want to come to church, but because of this struggle or this challenge or because of this addiction or because of this brokenness, they, they came. But when he said, I didn't wanna come, what he meant was, I didn't want to come. Like he, he didn't wanna be here. It didn't feel like he chose it but God knew and God put him on that path and he ended up here and it was a divine detour. What was true for him literally, I think is just as true for some of you. Like you're here, but you didn't necessarily choose it. What I mean by that is you didn't think this was gonna be part of the plan. Like you had it mapped out and coming to church and asking God for help or coming to church and looking for community or coming to church with some pretty heavy questions. Like that wasn't supposed to be part of it. Here you are. And I would just tell you, I don't think that's an accident. I think that what we're doing right now is part of God's will that is unfolding in your life. I think God has brought you here because he wanted, for some of you, he wanted you to hear me say this. Like he sees you. He knows you. He knows, he knows what you've done. He knows things that have been done to you. There's no secrets from God. He loves you right where you are. He cares about you. 
As a father, he wants to take everything that's happened to you and, and put you on maybe a, a different path than you had planned, but a path that is good, a path that will lead to something divine. But you're gonna have to embrace the shake. Like you're gonna have to accept some things that are gonna be hard to accept. You're gonna have to find grace from Jesus to give to yourself and grace to give to other people and grace to have from Jesus, grace to have for life circumstances that just haven't been fair. But if you'll do that, if you'll align those things, if you'll submit some, those things to God, he will meet you. He'll meet you right here and his will can, can still unfold for your life. It is not too late for you to experience God's will for you. And, and so what we wanna do together is we're gonna take communion in just a minute and then just just have a few moments of worship where we, we submit our will to God's. We accept his invitation to meet him. And we ask God to take this detour and, and determine a different direction, determine a different destiny for us. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace and your power that just seem to come together in this way, that you meet us where we are and then you work things together for good. And I don't mean to make this sound too simplistic because I know it's not. I, I know that there are people who have, like Joseph, who have been victimized and, and who have been hurt deeply. And I don't, I don't want them to feel like I'm minimizing any of that or just saying, Hey, just keep moving forward. Everything's gonna be okay. I, I, I recognize how real some of this hurt is. But God, I believe so much that you want to meet us there and you want to take the broken pieces. You wanna do something beautiful. And so I, I pray that you would help us do that. You would help us keep moving forward. And when we find ourselves on these detours that we didn't ask for, that we could surrender them to you with faith that you can still use them. Jesus, we, we need your grace, we need your help, and so we just ask for it in these next few minutes. It's in your name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.